Welcome to the St. Giles Sermon Podcast. It is the third week of Lent, and today we are diving into the Gospel of John. Today we're beginning in chapter 2 at the 13th verse. When it was almost time for the Jewish Passover, Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple courts, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and others sitting at tables exchanging money. So he made a whip out of cords and drove all from the temple courts, both sheep and cattle. He scattered the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. To those who sold doves, he said, get these out of here. Stop turning my father's house into a market. His disciples remembered that it is written, zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then responded to him, What sign can you show us to prove your authority to do all this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and I will raise it again in three days. They replied, It has taken 46 years to build this temple, and you are going to raise it in three days? But the temple he had spoken of was his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples recalled what he had said. Then they believed the scripture and the words that Jesus had spoken. This is the word of the Lord for the people of God. Thanks be to God. How many of you listen to The Bridge with Peter Mansbridge? It's a podcast. Am I the only one here? Oh, no, I got one. I got a couple. Okay, so then you might remember what I'm about to say, but I was listening to an episode this week, and to be fair, I listened to this because Peter Mansbridge was the newscaster of my youth. Right? I mean, he was the voice of Canada. And did he have a voice or what? Still does. And you can listen to it as he waxes poetic about his own kind of thoughts on things, which is interesting because you never got to hear that in the national. And sometimes he has very interesting guests. And this week, while I was listening to a conversation, he made a passing comment about nine companies being in the top 30 economies worldwide. Now, I was driving while I was listening to this, and that kind of shocked me, but also I couldn't rewind it and re-listen to it to catch where he had referenced that from. So when I got home, I kept thinking about that statement, and I started digging. I'm not sure the statement would have affected me as much if I hadn't also been thinking reflecting and learning about the temple in Jesus' time. Because when you talk about scales of economy, when you talk about how large some corporate entities in fact are and the impact they have on this world, you have to fully understand that it's not entirely new, even though we feel like it is. The numbers get bigger and bigger, right? But there have always been dominating forces in the market, in the world. And the temple economy in Jerusalem was massive. It dominated the retail landscape of that region. It was the Amazon of its day. Now, if I was to ask you how many of you had Amazon packages delivered this week, which I won't do because that's not kind, 
There would be, I think, more hands than those who listen to Peter Mansbridge. Because the truth is, in the last 30 years since Amazon came into being, it has transformed retail worldwide. The scale of Amazon is, is so large. They contribute $9 billion a year to Canada's economy alone. Their market cap is larger than 92% of countries in this world. And they've achieved that scale in 30 years. Like, think about how your shopping habits or the shopping habits of your friends have changed. We used to be able to go to Sears to get new towels. Now, you either go to Superstore, Winners, or Amazon. We used to have Zellers in town, and now Zellers is like a boutique in the Bay, which I find so interesting, right? That's how nostalgic we are for the good old days of retail. There were bookstores that were independent. There were stores that thrived and were community centers. And we still have those in town, and we're very fortunate. But it's getting harder and harder as Amazon continues to transform with same-day shipping and the lovely new drone drop-offs. The day I get a drone drop-off at my house, I think I might just... I don't even know. It'll freak me out, you know? Do you really want a little helicopter dropping off packages? It feels too far for me. But our cities are, and you'll notice this this week now, you'll see little white vans parked in the middle of the street everywhere you go, dropping off deliveries from the store that has everything. Amazon is all about convenience. It's all about immediacy. It's unbelievably massive. And the same can be said for the temple in Jerusalem. The day that Jesus walked into the temple was very shortly after they had finished rebuilding. And it took them just, you know, 46 years to rebuild the temple. It wasn't just rebuilding, though. It was expanding. They doubled the size of the Temple Mount. Things got bigger and better. Things got, you know, more convenient for the traveling person who was coming to sacrifice, coming to worship. They enhanced the system so that it was convenient. You had a marketplace where you could access whatever it was you needed to perform the worship act that needed to be performed. There were money changers, because if you came from a region that wasn't close, you needed to use the proper currency. Everything was conveniently located for you. It was one-stop shopping. And it also enhanced and lined the pockets of those at the top. Because with all of the enhancements, you have more taxes, you have more payments, you have more coming in. They scaled up the temple economy, the sacrifice, the worship economy to a capacity so large that it drove that region. It was the economic heartbeat of the city and the areas around it. And it was very far from what we would envision a place of worship to be. 
It even functioned as a bank. I need you to realize that this is not just a worship place. This is a market place. People who had extra money would come and deposit it. There's records of this right before the first revolt. It's wild and nothing like we could possibly imagine. And Jesus walks into his father's house, the place where we are supposed to go and worship God. And what does he see? He sees one-stop shopping, very convenient, making faith transactional instead of relational. In just a few chapters, we will hear Jesus say that soon we will worship, not where we are, but rather in spirit and in truth. And today, Jesus walks into the heart of a system that is corrupt, into the heart of a system that has moved past partnership with God into partnership with the oppressor. They offer twice daily sacrifices at the temple for the well-being of the emperor of Rome. They've lost sight of what the purpose is and turned it into a money-making machine. Does it, like it's a little bit more understandable now why Jesus loses his temper, right? Because if we were to sit here and Jesus was to come in and clear us out the way he does in this passage, we would understand that we're all sinners, but part of us would probably be like, I don't understand. But if Jesus was to do the same thing with some of the systems in this world that oppress people, with some of the systems in this world that are set up to keep people working constantly for the production of goods, we might applaud him. We might say, it is time, finally, someone is doing something about that which is harming and hurting others. Which is exactly what he does. He walks in. He throws people out. He says, get out of here. What are you doing? Tosses money, makes a big scene. And they don't know how to react. What kind of authority does he have? Why is he doing this? Well, he's doing it because they lost sight of what God wants from them. And they've lost sight of what it means to really love your neighbor. To love your neighbor is not to take advantage of. To love your neighbor is not to allow for those who oppress you to be celebrated. To love your neighbor is not to turn your reaction or your interactions into transactions. Which is exactly what they've done here. It's a pretty amazing cleanse when you think about it. It's not that maple syrup cleanse that many people start at the top of the new year. It's not that Costco get 40 days of vegetable drink and see if you can survive the first three. This is a full temple cleanse. He moves out that which God does not want, and what does that leave? It leaves the people and their God. That's beautiful. 
And he makes a bold statement about the future, about how God is going to renew things. How in three days the temple will be raised. He makes a big statement about who he is, and they don't understand it until after he has done it. They set up a system of self-indulgence, of convenience. They set up a system where those who were at the top benefited greatly as the money came up. And that system sounds an awful lot like the world in which we live today. Our world is self-indulgent. It's all about convenience. Systems have been created to help us in our quest for convenience. But those systems often harm others greatly. As prices go up, people's wages aren't. As profits go up, where are they going to? In this world where convenience and self-indulgence and more, more, more seem to be the answers to questions people are asking, are we seeing the fruit of it? It doesn't look to me like joy, patience, gentleness, humbleness, There's not a lot of self-control, is there? What does our world say and the fruit it produces? The temple fruit wasn't good. And our fruit, I think if we follow in Jesus' way, can be pretty great. We were talking about fruit earlier, right? And when I said to the kids, you can't tell what a fruit is going to taste like by what it looks like, that's the honest truth. Have you ever bought fruit from the store when they say these are the seconds, the ones that aren't pretty enough to be sold? They often have the best flavor. Our lives produce fruit. And you can't really tell what it's going to taste like until you take a bite. But what we nourish ourselves with, the nutrients, the energy, the minerals even from the ground, all of that contributes to what makes a good fruit tree a fruit tree. And the same can be said for our lives. What the people were feeding the temple system with was greed, corruption, Desire, it wasn't love of God and service. And so the fruit it produced was panic, anxiety, oppression, as people ran and ran and ran to make the money, to pay the taxes, the tithes, to keep it going. And where does God fit into that? Well, God is there, even when we try and push him out. And God was there that day as Jesus stood in that courtyard and said, enough is enough. As he walked into that temple and cleared out that which harmed his neighbor, which destroyed 
the relationship God had with his people as he cleared out everything that was corrupt, that was harmful, that was causing problems. God was there. What will happen when we walk into the temples of our day? What will happen when we walk into the places and the when we bump into people who are experiencing oppression and harm? What will happen when we encounter the, sh- the shrines that exist to the gods of money and power? Will we clear those things away? Will we say we will not worship at the altar of convenience and instead worship a God who is at times very inconvenient? who demands our attention, who says every seven days, I want you to rest. Rest in my presence. Rest in me. The crazy thing to me about this story is that we often think, well, that was then and this is now, but it could very well be now. The noise and the people, so much going on, the exchange, the interaction, everything happening at a rapid pace. People trying to live well, trying to do their best, and in the midst of this hamster wheel, they've forgotten what God wants from them. What God has always wanted from them. The cries of the prophets echo as we hear Micah say, what does God require of you? Seek justice, love kindness, and walk humbly with God. The cries of the prophet echo as we remember Isaiah, as we remember his declarations, his bold statements on freedom and care for people. When God says, is this the kind of fast I want? I don't want what you do for show. I want you to live in my way. God has never wanted mass production and scale that harms his people. What God wants is justice. God wants people to be cared for. And that can be inconvenient, but it is the call on our lives. God is always moving us from me to we, right? It's kind of a catchphrase I know today, but it's true. God's always trying to move us from what benefits us to what benefits the whole. For when everyone benefits, we all thrive. We are all cared for. We are all connected. Jesus wants to move away from that fee-for-service model and move into real relationship and connection. And so he broke the chains. He cast out that which wasn't working, and he made a bold statement that lives on today. Enough is enough. Let go of that which harms. Step into real connection with God. Now, we know the story. 
He spoke truth and they didn't listen. He spoke truth and they rubbed him, or well, he rubbed them the completely wrong way. After all, he kind of derailed the money-making train. He slowed down those deliveries. He stopped production. And that caused them to pause what they were doing and think about ways they could pause what he was doing. Stopping and engaging with God is critically important. If we don't slow down and recognize how much the world affects us and how much we get caught up in the movement of what's going on around us, we will miss opportunities to seek justice. We will miss the call to go into those temples and shrines and break down systems that harm our neighbors. we don't connect with God and with each other, the fruits of our lives will not be rich and full and blessed. Our God doesn't want production. Our God doesn't want us to be burnt out as we run constantly, trying to meet demands of a system that was never meant to be. What our God wants is for us to have right relationship with God and with each other. That's what God has always wanted. And that's what we need to keep working for.